listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Today's today's interview is going to be really fun because we're going to talk about something that, quite honestly, I have a blind spot for. I think something I know very little about. Um, it's it's about um, reimbursement. It's about um, just the idea of being a part of associations, and that that part I know a little bit more about. And then there's a part I know a little bit more about, which is pharmacy law. So um, going through pharmacy school, one of the things they always told us about was, one of the things you should consider is pharmacy law. And now as a lawyer, my first question is, what is pharmacy law? Because I've never quite figured out what that means. I actually am going to get an answer to that question today. So, so if you are in medical affairs and you're going, how does all of this fit? How do what questions can I ask? Who can I ask questions to? Do people understand exactly what it is that I do? Um, you should care about today's discussion. Our guest today is the Kinetic Health Pharmacy Benefits Practice Leader. So if you can say that five times fast, that's awesome. Good for you. She is also the diplomat of the American Society of, uh, of Pharmacy Law, for Pharmacy Law uh, Leadership Program. So um, it sounds very impressive when you're a diplomat by definition and by title. So, so there you go. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our guest for today is Dr. Aaron Albert. This is the Darshan Talks live stream, and I'm your host, Darshan Kulkarni. Um, we are both pharmacists and attorneys, and we uh, I advise companies with FDA-regulated products. She advises companies on pharmacy benefits programs. Um, however, neither one of us are your attorney. Neither one of us are your pharmacist. Uh, so this is neither legal advice nor clinical advice. This is the first time I've ever been able to give that version of a disclaimer. <laughs> so that is awesome. Uh, these are considerations, but they do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host, the guest, or their employers or clients. If you like what you hear, please like, leave a comment, please subscribe, please share. Please feel free, free to ask our guests questions. You can always find me on Twitter at Darshan Talks or just go to my website at darshantalks.com. On the other hand, Aaron, how can people reach you? The best way to reach me is LinkedIn, actually. LinkedIn is my jam. I'm there. I'm there often, and I love LinkedIn. Very, very cool. So, so Aaron, let's start from the beginning. Um, what is pharmacy law? Well, first of all, Darshan, thank you for inviting me. This is fun. I don't get to talk to other pharmacist attorneys that often, so right? it's a rare treat. Um, pharmacy and law, to me, it's a really curious intersection that I think a lot of us work at. When you think of pharmacy practice, because most of us who are pharmacist attorneys were pharmacists before we were attorneys, not every mm -hmm. case, but most cases. Pharmacy is one of the most highly regulated industries out there, right? You think about mm -hmm. all the laws that we have to learn. We have to take an extra law exam to become licensed pharmacists. And so I've always been curious, and I'm sure you have to some extent as well for going to law school, been curious about how law is made and what happens kind of behind the scenes or behind the curtain before black letter law comes to be. 
Like what happened to spur this law? Why do we need to be regulated as a profession if we're truly professionals? Why can't we self-regulate? Maybe to some extent we do. Uh, so I have always been fascinated about this intersection. And, you know, when I went to law school, it was later in my career. And what was happening at the time was the Affordable Care Act was rolling out. Okay. And for me, I wanted to understand, first of all, the people that drafted ACA for the most part were lawyers. They were not healthcare professionals per se. So how can I serve both professions as more of a translator to make sure that we're looking out and advocating for our first profession of pharmacy, but then doing it in a thoughtful way to still protect our patients and to balance that out with protecting the profession and practicing at the tops of our licenses. That's a very long-winded lawyerly way of my definition of pharmacy law. How about you? What is your definition? I'm curious. My definition of pharmacy law has honestly been it doesn't exist in that uh, it, it's there are so many niches in I, I'm a lawyer who happens to be a pharmacist or I'm a pharmacist who happens to be a lawyer. But there are a thousand directions my degree could take me and your degree does take you. And people seem to think, you know, law, you know, pharmacy, you know about both in tremendous detail. And I can assure you, I don't. I, I, I understand life sciences law. That's my thing. That's my jam, as you put it. Um, you talk to me about reimbursement. I'm crying in a corner somewhere when that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, my knowledge of reimbursement is, um, is primarily limited to the idea that I worked as one of my rotations in a PBM and that was interesting. Um, I, I still love the far, far, the fact that I did that. Um, and I also, um, as a pharmacist, I got numerous rejections uh, for my for the uh, re when I worked in retail pharmacy. Every time we put in this uh, the order, we'd get rejections, and I never quite understood why. Which is why I did that rotation. That was my knowledge base. Having said that, I ended up writing a book chapter on it, which which is bizarre to me, but let's ignore that part of it. But my point is pharmacy law to me, it has always been this overarching concept that, that encompasses so many different things that it became semi-meaningless to me. But, um, but I think that what you're doing now is you're, at, you're adding some definition to the, to the broadness of it. And I think that's what that's going to be helpful as we go along. It, uh, it it fell into the no true Scotsman fallacy for me. Uh, if, have you have you heard of the no true Scotsman? No, fallacy? enlighten me. Okay, no the no no true Scotsman thing is um, when someone uh, comes and says uh, blah blah blah. This is what Scotsman. Uh, this I do this, and and you always respond with no true Scotsman would do this because you get to choose in your head what a true Scotsman does. And, and that, that sort of makes it really difficult to pin down. Uh, and you get to exclude people based on that. So my definition has always been, I don't think there's such a thing. Let me tell you what I do and I'll tell you what someone else does. Erin is an expert on, uh, on reimbursement. Talk to her about that. In fact, right before we started, we had a very quick conversation about, uh, would you be interested in writing this book chapter with me? And, and your response was, 
I don't do that part of reimbursement. I do this part of it, which I think is so awesome because that's exactly how we are. We're like, we know our niche and that's what we do. Um, So, so that would be my answer. Um, Have you got, you have never received that answer before though, based on your reaction. No, no, but I guess when I do get around other pharmacist attorneys through, for example, the American Society for Pharmacy Law um, in the nonprofit space, we're all we're all oftentimes talking about the law. We're not talking about ourselves and our own career development. So that's, for example, is one thing that we started at ASPL this year. I've served on the board of directors. And in 2022, I'll be serving as the president of that association one of the things that I've asked on the podcast is tell us about your career, because I think one of the beautiful blessings and curses of being a pharmacist attorney is that we can do anything to your earlier point. And right. without without you know knowing what all is available to you, I think we kind of get overwhelmed sometimes. So I kind of like to bring out that how did you get to where you are today in your own career with other pharmacist attorneys because we can do so much and because there's so many little rabbit holes that we can go down so i love that about our intersection oh i 100 love it but i just think it's a really it's a much broader intersection than people think it is people seem to think it's this narrow intersection of the pharmacy profession meeting the law profession as this very very small niche and what I've discovered, what you've discovered is there are a thousand points of light from it. Um, I think that's going back to Howard Dean from like the 2009 election. That's but... some old school stuff right there. <laughs> Pulling that one out. Pulling it out. <laughs> thousand points of light. Well, to be, to be fair, I have binders of women. Ah, well, there's that too. There's that. <laughs> there's that. Uh, I, I, lo- I love that we've gone down the cheesy route right now. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, but, but you mentioned ASPL. So talk to us a little bit about what ASPL is. So we're a delightful little bunch of pharmacists, lawyers, and pharmacist lawyers who love to talk about pharmacy and law and ethics and policy as it okay. all relates to healthcare. So uh, we have, we're nearing 500 members, which is awesome. I'm super excited about that. And we have an annual conference every November next year in 2022. It'll be in Naples, Florida at the very top of November. So come on down and join us. Uh, We have two and a half days of continuing legal education as well as continuing pharmacist education. So you get dual credit while you're sitting in the room, which I love. And it's all about kind of this huge intersection to our earlier conversation. We talk about PBMs. We talk about medical drug reimbursement. We talk about federal law updates. We talk about state law updates. And if you've seen one state and their pharmacy laws, you've seen one state and their pharmacy laws because every state is different. Uh, We have a case law update every year that is amazing. They go through kind of major cases in the space of healthcare and pharmacy law every year in the holdings. And what's the best part about that meeting is there's oftentimes lawyers in the room who worked on those cases. So we get kind of the facts and then we get the true Hollywood story, what was going on behind the scenes with those cases. So it's one of my favorite associations. And you know we're trying to do some new initiatives this year, one of them being the diplomat of the American Society for Pharmacy Law 
mid-career leadership program. And we have until now, until the end of the year, you sign up as an ASPL member. It's a one-year longitudinal leadership experience for mid-career pharmacists, lawyers, and pharmacist lawyers who <laughs> want to really bone up on their leadership skills. Because let's face it, the pandemic has happened. I think the definition of leadership has changed somewhat. The skills that you need to be a good leader are somewhat changing. I mean, we talk about empathy and a lot of things that, you know, diversity, inclusion, belonging, things that frankly, we didn't get in pharmacy school or law school for that matter. So I'm very passionate about this diplomat program for the, particularly for people in the middle of our careers, like you and me, we're not at the end of our career. We're not talking about retirement per se. And we're not at the beginning of our career where we're trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. We've just realized we don't want to grow up because it's a scam, right? But <laughs> we need to kind of polish our leadership skills. So the ASPL has really put this year-long leadership program together to kind of mash up some mentoring aspects, to learn from the thought leaders in the space of pharmacy and law, and then work on a year-long project that culminates at our Naples, Florida fall conference in 2022. So that's interesting to me. So, so how... How do you define mid-career? Because you were very kind in including me in that. Uh, and I, I can't tell if I'm deserving of a mid-career title. I feel old as dirt now. So, um, <laughs> so I, I'm just curious how you define mid-career. Yeah. So our definition is anyone who is five to seven years in with either profession. So oh, yeah. you've got your groove on. You're well-established in your, your day job role but you're looking for something else beyond that. And it could be, for example, even a pharmacist who has passion for ethics or law, who's thinking about going to law school. This would be a huge opportunity for them to learn and polish their leadership skills prior to even going to law school, getting around pharmacist attorneys who guide them one way or the other into law school or not. So when you, when you look at the breakdown of the association, is it primarily pharmacists, ph primarily lawyers, or primarily pharmacist lawyers? It's really interesting. We did a survey last year, and it was about a third, third, third. It was a mix, oh. believe it or not. Yeah. I'm surprised and I'm, I'm impressed by that. Yeah. Uh, so, so how old is the association, by the way? We started in the late 70s, early 80s. So I think we're kind of... Um, midlife, maybe 30s to 40s, <laughs> somewhere in there. Yeah, it was founded by um, Joe Fink, Professor Joe Fink at the University of Kentucky, who happens to be yeah. one of my pharmacy law mentors. And he got a group of folks together at an annual American uh, Pharmacists Association meeting, I think in Chicago way back in the day. And that's where ASPL was born. And 30 plus years later, here we are talking about all these amazing opportunities. We've got a retiree membership group now. We've got uh, early career professionals. We have scholarships for pharmacy students who want to go on to law school. I mean, we've got a variety of ways to get involved. Committees right now, we've got a handful of committees that we're looking for folks in 2022, members to join and participate. And we have a podcast now. So a great newsletter that comes out every other month that's just jam-packed full of actual cases and legal issues that are going on in the pharmacy law space. So let's talk about the, the, the actual issue that's popping up for everyone right now. Um, and, and I'm going to refer to Blair when I talk about this, but pizza's not enough. Mm. Uh, what, what has been, has there been a discussion 
at the ASPL level on pharmacy work burdens. I don't know. I don't know the way to phrase that is just the the burden of of being a pharmacist to the extent we consider it a burden. But yeah. Yeah. We did have a little bit of discussion this this year at our fall conference in November around the state regulatory legal update. I asked, you know, kind of the burning question about and it was in the federal uh, legal session as well a little bit about, you know, the fact that we're trying to push for provider status for pharmacists. A lot of people don't even know that pharmacists under the eyes of the Social Security Act and federal law were not considered healthcare providers, which is just insanity to me. Uh, So we're still working on that. But I think the counterpoint to that is we keep stepping up and we do more and more. We're giving vaccines. We're doing COVID testing. You know, we're doing all these other vaccines. We're filling prescriptions. Well, something's got to give at a point or another, right? To the point now where pharmacy technicians are not being paid enough. Pharmacists, in some cases, their salaries have gone down. Uh, So something's got to give. And ASPL, to be in full disclosure, is not an organization that takes stances one way or the other. We're there to educate and inform. We don't pick sides. So my personal opinion, Aaron's personal opinion, is that I think there are things that we can do as a society to help promote our pharmacists and pharmacist technicians, pharmacy technicians. I just wrote a LinkedIn piece about 13 ways for the general public to help our pharmacy colleagues in the real world right now to get them the resources and frankly, the pay that they deserve you know, pharmacy technicians don't even make what fast food workers make in a lot of metro areas, which has to stop. They are certified professionals, um, and we have to support them because they in turn support the pharmacists. So, without a doubt, I think I think pay is a real issue. Um, let, let me let me challenge you a little bit on the uh, provider status. I mean, I, I went to I'm going to date myself, but I went to pharmacy school, graduated in 2002. Uh, so we were talking about provider status literally 20 years ago in like 15, 15 days, oh, not even, what am I, in nine days. So we've been talking about provider status for this long. I, at this point, I don't think it's a hill. Like it's been the hill pharmacists have wanted to die on for literally over 20 years. And I'd say we've had minimal uh, effect. And my thing is we could very easily, it, is that the hill? Why is that the hill we've chosen to die on? There are, as we've pointed out, many, many places pharmacists can be very effective. Um, but we always focus on that one. Why do you think that is? Because it goes back to the R word, Darshan, reimbursement. Reimbursement? Yeah. Okay. If pharmacists don't have a seat at the table for reimbursement, they can do all the free services they want all day long, but they're not going to get paid for it and they're not going to be doing it for very long. So I think maybe to some extent we've tied the reimbursement, the R word, too much up in provider status. But either way, at the end of the day, we're professionals just like lawyers, just like doctors. And you have to be able to get paid for your services. You know, one of the things that happened with the COVID vaccine is there's not a ton of reimbursement going on out there. I mean, you can go anywhere pretty much and get your vaccines uh, together, right? Or to get your boosters for COVID. Well, 
The problem with that is that pharmacists are trying to do that and all the other things that they were doing before the pandemic. And if you're not getting paid more, you can't hire more people to get more help to manage the volume, right? So it's a chicken and egg kind of cycle. So I think why we feel like we need to die on the hill of provider status is exactly that, to get paid for our services. But I feel like our services can evolve. I think, for example, compounding is a place that pharmacists have traditionally done for decades that we kind of didn't focus on. And it's coming back and coming back in a serious way. But we would be further along if that was a direction we said we want to focus on. Alternatively, we we might say um, addressing other issues of reimbursement. And I'll give you an example. I'm thinking more. Uh, uh, there, there's a pharmacist out in New Jersey, and I'm blanking on her name. I um, I spoke to her probably about 10 years ago, but she was looking at how do you make sure that appropriate billing is taking place so that you can see the returns. I mean, and I, and I could think of a hundred more like that and so could you. My point is that's to me has always been, and, I, and I, I, I fundamentally will point this bias out. I fundamentally don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to this scenario. I, I, I believe that it's it's just been a huge distraction from my perspective. Like industry, I, th- I think medical affairs and uh, 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 pharmacovigilance, et cetera, are great places for pharmacists to be. But we've said all of our resources from all of our organizations are going to go down this path because a certain population wants that reimbursement part. And I, I take it one step further. The part that's, that I struggle with is this idea that um, physicians and uh, uh NPs and PAs who do have provider status um, really hate getting paid by Medicare and Medicaid. So the question is, yes, let's assume we do get provider status. Do we really want that reimbursement, which really no one is going, that would be great to get paid below what, what cost is, which is what we're struggling with right now. So I'm not sure it's so much a question as much as something I've struggled with. I actually asked Sandra Leal the same question, Sandra being the current um, chair, of the, uh, chair of APHE, I believe, or president, I forget what, what, her, what her official title is. And she had something similar to say, to be fair. Like her point was, you're not seeing the big picture. And I appreciate that. But I, I figured I'd ask someone who also understands the law. So I'd, I'd, be, I'd be curious if there's anything more to add to it based on what I just said. Otherwise, I have another question as well. Well, I think what might be interesting, Darshan, is to flip that argument. So instead okay. of focusing on reimbursement, and I think you kind of hinted at this, What about focusing on savings? So I work for Apex Benefits. We're a mid-market advisor broker here in the Midwest. We work with commercial employers every day to try to help them get the best benefits, healthcare, pharmacy benefits that they can afford for their members, for their employees. Every day, I am rooting around data analytics and population health data to look at claims reimbursement, And then ways to save. And that could be everything from, by the way, medical drugs over in the medical benefit, all those infused drugs are totally differently reimbursed and on a totally different pricing structure than your pharmacy benefits at the corner of Happy and Healthy or wherever you get your prescription drugs. So you kind of have to know both worlds and you have to know how reimbursement is set up in those both worlds then i have to play the game kind of a match.com figuring out is that infused drug going to be ongoing or is it a one and done if it's ongoing is there a place 
what place are they getting the infusion at? Because that can balloon the claims as much as three or four times what they should be for reimbursement. Then I have to think about, well, is it weight-based dosing or is it something that uh, has a very stable, regular dose? And then can we brown bag, white bag, clear bag that drug over in the pharmacy benefits? And I know I'm throwing out a lot of Harry Potter terms because we have our own little languages, even within healthcare in some instances. But these are the things that we work on every day at Apex Benefits for our employers because you would be shocked to know that the reimbursement rates, particularly on medical drugs these days, is literally the wild, wild west. The medical carriers are very close to the vest about what reimbursement rates they are contracting with providers for. And in turn, when I see those paid claims and I'm comparing it to Medicare rates, I uh, my blood pressure goes up. Let's just put it that way, because the reimbursement rates are sometimes three, four, five, six hundred percent of Medicare reimbursement rates in commercial. So it's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge in that it's an area that pharmacists are just now, I think, getting into beyond Medicaid and Medicare plans with, you know, the, the TPAs, uh, the Aetna's, the United Healthcare's of the world. And commercial, I always thought commercial employer plans were probably the most innovative when it came to things like utilization management and containing costs and therapies. And it's the exact opposite. Medicare and Medicaid are actually the most innovative when it comes to utilization management. And commercial plans, some of them don't even have like step therapy on them or prior authorization, which is baffling to me. So that's just one example that I think where pharmacists are bringing their value. Instead of talking about how much revenue we're generating, I think we need to sometimes flip the argument and talk about how much cost savings we can drive. We could, we could have a whole discussion about this and we probably should have a whole discussion about this. We're well past time, but I'm gonna ask, well, I have one question from someone you and I both know um, Todd Yuri asks, um, is the oath of the pharmacist a statement that can be defended by existing federal or state law? Um, I'd say no, for the most part. Uh, but is the working conditions of retail phar uh, chain pharmacies creating a conflict of interest based on the oath uh, and the board of pharmacy requirements? Could there be a class action suit of chain retail pharmacists? So I think I'll answer it, but I'd love to see if you disagree with me. But could there be a class action suit of chain retail pharmacists? Sure. Um, is the working conditions creating a conflict of interest based on the oath? Well, you can't really create a conflict of interest based on the oath. However, you can create a uh, a basically a work environment that that doesn't allow you to do your job. And and um, and I think the it, it wouldn't be a claim from the pharmacist, it could be a claim from the patient suing a pharmacist basically um, for, oh, and the chain uh, for creating an environment in which the pharmacist couldn't do their work and therefore they were harmed. So it, it would land up being some kind of med mal type of case. Um, what would your take be? Ugh, you're back in the land of torts and civ pro. <laughs> yeah. And that, get, that shivers down my spine. Uh, you can sue anyone for anything, but if you don't have standing, 
and you, you can't, you know, show the elements of whatever it is that you're suing for, you're not going to get very far other than some lawyers are going to start making some money off of you. Um, but I, I think, you know, Todd brings up an interesting point, conflicts of interest. That seems to be sure. such a huge topic right now. ACPE, you know, the, the organization that sets the standards for our continuing education as pharmacists and schools of pharmacy. Right now, they're taking notice and comment on the pharmacy school standards. So get involved there. If you're a pharmacist listening and you have an opinion, and most pharmacists do, about what should be in curriculum for pharmacy schools, go out and provide notice and comment and give them your suggestions. But also what I found very interesting is ACPE also sets standards for continuing education pharmacist providers. And effective January 1, 2022, there are certain employees of certain types of organizations that will no longer be allowed to speak at CPE, continuing pharmacist education programs. So if you've been speaking about whatever topics you're passionate about, I would strongly encourage those listening who are pharmacists to go out to ACPE and read the new standards because some people, for example, who work for pharma or work for PBMs can no longer speak in a CPE because ACPE finds that as just what it is, a conflict of interest in serving the employer. Now, personally, I have a differing opinion of that because life is conflicts of interest. You're always going to have conflicts of interest. But what you do to manage those is to disclose them and recuse yourself if it is a direct conflict of interest at the end of the day. But you're never going to get rid of conflicts of interest, in my opinion. And I will get off my soapbox right there. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think that's a terrible position for them to take because it will be challenged on First Amendment grounds. And you can't, you can't tell a speaker you can't speak because I don't like what you're saying. What you can do is you can actually say that either you have to balance it out, which is fair, or it has to, be, it has to meet the standard of truthful and not misleading, which right. courts have consistently come out and said that you have to anyways. So I, I think that's a, that's a problematic position for sure. I mean, I don't technically work for any pharma companies, but I feel like the idea that I would be prohibited from speaking just because I have an employer relationship with that is ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and when you think about PBMs, for example, Darshan, yeah. the experts in utilization management and containing costs, they're all in PBMs. So why would you prohibit them from speaking about their area of expertise? That's baffling to me. The idea... What, what people fail to realize with bias is that if you remove one kind of bias, you introduce another kind of bias. Yeah. So the idea that we're going to have, and I'm making this up, and I'm not, I work in a hospital pharmacy, I can say this, to assume that hospital pharmacists are unbiased is just plain wrong. They have one perspective and a valuable perspective at that. But, but if you, if you're, as a hospital pharmacist, if you're completely untethered from financial realities, that does a disservice to your patients in the end. Uh, because as, as a pharmacist, as a hospital pharmacist, I didn't have to look at, look at cost. I just gave whatever was on my formulary and I was happy to dispense it. In retail, if I, when I worked in retail, I did 10 years of retail and I can tell you that um, I, didn't, I was not limited to, I, I basically went to whatever the uh, insurance company would allow. Having my knowledge be balanced against what realities are is incredibly valuable. So I think that is hugely problematic and, and 
excuse my language to whoever is at ACP who who came up with this is ignorant, but that's my position on it. Who, no one, no one asked me. Um, there, there must be more to the story. Uh, I hope there's more to the story than someone going, oh, there's bias, so we're going to just stop this. Everyone um, has bias. You're never going to get rid of it. It's, yeah. it's putting a light on it and then recusing yourself, I think, is the only way to handle it. Not barring people in mass. I don't think that's appropriate. But that's just my personal opinion. Not any of my employers necessarily. This is not let's, legal let's advice. This, this is not pharmacy advice. <laughs> Do not reflect the opinion of the host, guests, or their employers necessarily. Just to be clear about all of these. But, but that is my opinion. I think it's ignorant and is short-sighted. Uh, and someone's going to sue them. They probably should be sued for making such an opinion. Um, so that's my take. Usually I do these for about 10 to 15 minutes. Well, 15, 20 minutes. We're at 32 minutes already. So, and we're nowhere close to really finishing. So we really should plan to have you back on, have a, another conversation. This was so much fun. Um, I, again, let's, let's stay. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just so you know. I asked five questions to all my guests. Uh, the first question is, what is the best way for people to reach you? LinkedIn. There you go. And who are they going to look for? Aaron L. Albert. Excellent. My, this is for people who are on the podcast and may not be looking at this visually. Sure. The second question, what would you like to ask the audience? Uh, I would love to hear about, you know, the audience's impression of pharmacy. Are they actually seeing out, particularly in community practice right now, are they in long lines? Are they getting their vaccines there? Do they feel or do they see that their pharmacists and their pharmacy technicians are just getting burned out? I would love to know about that. Um, I don't know that we have an automatic remedy at this point, but I would love to hear from the public and have the public's back on pharmacy right now. So um, I usually try to get, answer the first question first, just so um, you have at least one answer. I would say I, I went from getting almost no medications to becoming diabetic and needing a bunch of medications. And I see pharmacists struggling with this every single day. And that, and that it's scary to me. I remember working in retail, like I said, for over 10 years. I loved it, to be honest. I know people would laugh at me for saying that, but I loved working in retail because I get to connect. I get to connect with my patients. And that was really important to me. Um, it's been a while since I've worked. I probably worked last over 10 years ago. And a lot of things have changed in 10 years. Um, but the point was that um, I, the metrics have come in and people are being held to those metrics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's difficult to be a retail pharmacist today. Um, I, I also think that um, I remember being a retail pharmacist and, and I complained a lot too. So there, there is a, it's, it's, this is something I teach you in law school. There's your side, there's their side, and then there's reality. Um, I don't know what, what reality is, but I know what I felt and it was overwhelmed. Um, I also know I've been in management positions and you're no one's sitting, as far as I know, no one's sitting in management going, how do I screw everyone over? Um, it's, it's usually, yes, can I work? Can I do more with less? That's always been a question. And, and everyone's going to ask that question, including in our households. But I think in some ways we're losing the humanity of, um, of our profession. And I think that we need to keep an eye out for that and make sure that we are supporting our retail pharmacists because they are, in the end, the healthcare provider outside the doctors are connecting with patients on a near daily basis. Um, 
I, I, I encourage anyone who wants to have that conversation as we continue. So, so um, to your question of, of how are we dealing with it? I think that there is um, exhaustion. I think uh, pharmacists are quitting, but I think there's, there's a second repercussion from all of this, which is um, I think the result will be more automation, more mail order, because if there is no one to work in retail, and, and pharmacists say we're going to walk out, which people are saying. I think that was yesterday's news. I think there was a, there was an effort to unionize um, in one of the pharmacies that I read on Reddit. So I know that that's happening. The downside of that is great. You're going to do this. What happens when your job goes away? Are you ready to pivot, as as you said? So those right. are the questions you need to start thinking about. And advocacy is part of signing up for profession, right? So mm-hmm. if you're going to advocate for the profession, I think one of the best ways you can do that is save yourself first. Put your oxygen mask on first. If you're not happy in retail, what are you doing to pivot now to move on to your dream job? And then yes. once you get in that dream job, you are a beacon for other community practice pharmacists or pharmacists who are miserable in whatever area that they are to move into that area because you're serving as a model. So you can be what you can see. And I've often told pharmacists when I coach them on their career, the first and the best thing you can do for the profession is to get yourself in a position where you are happy and you are practicing at the top of your license. And I I think you're starting to see that. I think one of the things people have been talking about more and more recently is the idea of the great resignation and the implications of the great resignation, which has been a lot of people overall saying, I don't want to work for people. I want to be an entrepreneur. And you're seeing a lot more people do that, including pharmacists. So kudos to the pharmacists who've done it. And I'm encouraging other pharmacists to consider it as we continue. So that was my second question. Um, Here is another one. Uh, What's something you learned in the last month? Uh, I learn every day. So that's really hard to narrow down. But I'm still learning a lot about medical carriers and how they operate because pharmacy benefit managers I've worked with kind of in the past. But I don't know. The medical carriers kind of have this big veil over them. And it feels like to me, they are kind of, at least with the drug portions, probably where PBMs were 10, 15 years ago when there was a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. Cause I still, I think medical drug reimbursement is the wild, wild West where PBMs used to be. And some PBMs still are with spread games and, you know, um, keeping rebates and things like that. So I'm learning all kinds of things about medical carriers. Fascinating. So medical carriers still have those issues that they have to deal with. Something to consider as you continue. What's something that made you happy in the last week? Baking. I bake for the holidays with my family so and my friends. So we had our annual bake-off. So I love that. It's probably going back to my compounding days in retail. <laughs> very, very cool. And last question. What's something most people don't know about you? Um, you know, I have the podcast, I have my own podcast, the edutainer podcast, and I'm on break right now between seasons, but I'm really kind of a book nerd. And I just love to share with others kind of my own learning journeys. And part of that, you know, is the podcast. So I would encourage everyone to check out my podcast. And usually I'm sharing my kind of mental uh, book reads and things like that with my audience through that channel. So so, so first of all, what's the name of the podcast again? It's called the Edutainer. So we look, we focus on the intersection again of education and entertainment. 
So, um, and, and where can it be found? You can find it on all podcast channels, Apple, Spotify, Anchor. They're all there. Very cool. Um, so, so very, very excited. You should check out the edutainer for sure. And, um, and again, to remind other people, what's the best way for people to reach you? LinkedIn. I'm Aaron L. Albert at LinkedIn. You can't miss me there. I've got all kinds of resources on my you know, page. I just blogged again, as we discussed earlier, about how the lay public can help our pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. I would encourage you to go read that and then help, help any way that you can. Awesome. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. So excited to have you. Um, and, and stay tuned. We'll hopefully have Aaron on again sometime. I would love that. Thank you, Darshan, for the opportunity. Take care.